Connor from the future here. Wanted to tell you before the pod that originally we had an event where we were showing the Phantom Carriage on New Year's Eve with a live score and an after party. But unfortunately, it has been pushed to next year. But we recorded this pod several weeks ago before it got pushed. So you might hear some references here and there. But don't believe us. This was us in the past. We were foolish and didn't realize that it was going to have to be rescheduled. So, uh, yeah, enjoy. And Happy New Year. Welcome, Secret Movie Clubbers, to the last podcast of 2022, Secret Movie Club Podcast 132. We are talking about Victor Seostrom's The Phantom Carriage, one of the most famous silent films, a movie that Igmar Bergman would often talk about as one of the seminal influences in getting him to love cinema. And we're also just talking about sort of the paucity of New Year's Eve movies, although there are definitely movies that have New Year's Eve scenes. Uh, maybe you'll hear some surprises. And I'm going to be kind of a fun series to do this year is because we did it with Thanksgiving, the holidays where there aren't really the definitive canon like throughout the year to like pick a few, you know, because there are certain movies, you know, Halloween, Christmas, I feel like Valentine's Day. Yeah, even St. Patty's Day. But where's the definitive Memorial Day movie? The definitive Labor Day movie? Jason Reitman's Labor Day? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Should we start that? Uh, all right, who's with us today? What's up? It's Daniel. <laughs> it's me, Connell and Cruz, the People's Champion, still here broadcasting from the local go-kart and uh, water boat. Dave and Busters? Edwin, <laughs> you're on mute. Edwin's on mute. Well, oh, America! I want to leave this damn room so I go to Amoeba and to buy poster and to buy laundry detergent. And I'm Craig, the founder programmer of Secret Movie Club. It's wonderful to have you guys. At this point, we've announced the entirety of our January through March, and I will tease a few more titles that you may not have known about. We are going to be doing our open mic short nights, as always. Uh, the themes are January is openings, by which we mean like opening scenes, beginnings, uh, starting something. Orifices. Not orifices. February, uh, it's poetry. And uh, March is song and dance. And for March, if you're going to make a short, you have to have choreography in it or an actual original song. We're going to make that a stipulation. Also, Valentine's Day, we're doing Alfred Hitchcock's Notorious, and we're doing Stanley Don and Charade on 35mm. So you want to do some Valentine's? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, join us for a little Valentine's Day at the Secret Movie Club Theater. That's my favorite Hitchcock movie. Daniel, bring Rachel. If you're a fatalist, you can join us for our two Thursdays. One Thursday, we're doing Double Indemnity, Billy Wilder's Double Indemnity and Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless, both on 35mm. And then we're doing In a Lonely Place, one of my favorite Nicholas Ray movies, Crazy, with Humphrey Bogart and, and Gloria Graham. And then Orson Welles' Lady from Shanghai. We're also doing some Howard Hawks in February. Join us for 20th Century, Bringing Up Baby, His Girl Friday. Uh, we're also doing a double dose of Billy Wilder, Some Like It Hot in the Apartment. And then I will say that we are doing for Stephen Brownlee's birthday in March, both on 35, The Jerk and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. So if you want to come see The Jerk and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Steve Martin Double Bill 
on 30. I'm going to see how the jerk goes over in this day and age. I am really curious about that one, but I want to take the chance. It's hilarious. I think it's heart still in the right place. The opening line of the movie is Steve Martin saying, I was born a poor black child in Mississippi. So come and join us. And then Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, uh, Michael Caine, Steve Martin, and much more. As always, you can write us at community at secretmovieclub.com. Find out everything we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. And actually, Connor, I hope I know this by the time we do this. No, you know what? I don't want to jinx it. There's something I'm really excited about that Edwin will be like, what? But I'm waiting uh, to get confirmation on it. So I'll put that to the side till I get It's going to suck, isn't it? It's going to suck, I think huh? it's amazing. We're going to light your, your DVD collection on fire. <laughs> <laughs> Go to hell. We're, just, we're just getting the permits. Wicker Man style. Also, Craig, that's the Martin double. Not, not the double I would have done. Not the double I would have done. Of course Dirty it's Ryan not. It's not your f***ing birthday. I don't give a f***. It was Steve. Yeah, okay, hey, Daniel. Stephen Brownlee. Hey, what did you get for your birthday? Why don't you uh, both on 35 tell us again? What? They bash yeah. anyway. See, all he's going to do, do is bitch. So, on the cusp of New Year's Eve 2022. Who knows what 2023 is going to hold in store for us. I got to be honest. Uh, I thought this year, you know, a lot of people, there's like kind of a meme, especially like late last decade, where it's like this year is even worse. I thought this year was, I liked it a lot more than the year before. Yeah, word. Maybe it's like the COVID thing and just getting out of that more. Midterms were a pleasant surprise. Like America repudiating Trumpism was kind of nice. I hope. I liked this year comparatively to uh, other previous years. No, I hear you. I think it's more, where's this war in Ukraine going to go? If you look at history, like, is this the Archduke Ferdinand being shot that causes, you know, China, is China going to go for Taiwan at some point? Is that going to just create a cascading dominoes of the next world war? I I think I meant it more like that. Who knows? I'm not out of sight, out of mind. (laughs) (laughs) Victor Siostrom who a lot of people, if they're into movies, actually know is the lead actor in Igmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries, one of my favorite Bergman movies. And he's amazing in it. Maybe the greatest director performance next to Jean Renoir's performance in The Rules of the Game. But Victor Sjöström was a very famous Swedish director in the silent era. And he directed a movie called The Phantom Carriage, which he also starred in. You know, it's sort of pulling triple duty. I think he also wrote it or adapted it. This isn't completely accurate, but I describe it almost as Sweden's It's a Wonderful Life. Although much more dour and down. It's kind of got like a Christmas Carol vibe to it, too. Totally. It's that genre. A Christmas Carol, It's a Wonderful Life, amazing, transcendent, magical third act. But essentially, a very awful dude dies on New Year's Eve. And we see all the people he's treated horribly. And he discovers that now he has to take over the Phantom Carriage, which picks up the souls of the dead for at least a year because of how awful he was. And his friend turns out to have been the Phantom Carriage driver for the previous year and shows him why he has to be basically the Grim Reaper. And he has to be the Grim Reaper because he treated his family awfully, his children awfully, people who tried to help him and give him a second chance awfully. By the end of the movie, you know, as Scrooge does, he suddenly gets a second chance and it's a very suddenly you're crying and I was. You're like, suddenly this guy who you would think would not get a second chance has an epiphany, has a realization and gets to go back to the world of the living to maybe, maybe do it right and make up for his bad behavior behavior an amazing film uh we're going to talk about that and then we're going to talk uh briefly just about how new year's eve scenes don't seem to often pop up in movies they do famously when harry met sally but not all the time they're not a lot of when like new year's eve movies anyway let's just do a, a precise 
round robin on Phantom Carriage. Who wants to go first? I really like this film. Controversial take. I had, well, I had not read a bunch about it in terms of its influence until after I had watched it. And then I kind of wished I would have started with that because the amount of people that pull from it, whether inspiration-wise or visual-wise or just directly lift from it was really surprising just because it doesn't always seem to quite sync up with some of their sensibilities to a degree. Some of them, like Bergman stuff, makes absolute sense with the stuff he likes to dive into. How about, uh, how were you with the straight up Stanley Kubrick lift? Yeah, it's, it's sort of perfect because if we didn't have the access we do now, he may have gotten away with it. I'm sure he, maybe he's spoken to it. But if we didn't have access to the history of cinema, like as we do currently, you could he could have been like, I made that up. We're referencing a, a very scary scene late in the movie where the main character takes an axe to a door to get to his family who are cowering. And even the shots are fairly reminiscent of The Shining. Is that character, the bad man at the center, is that the director? Yes. From the time period it's in, it's fascinating to see this thing that is seeped completely around sexism and abuse and this man who's trying to like come to terms with that and the punishment of it and that they structure it in a way that by the end of it you do you become empathetic toward him like he has this redemption arc and the redemption arc i guess cost him everything is sort of the word to use and maybe it is like it cost him everything but also like is it enough to redeem a lifetime of evil because his entire existence is sort of against everyone he's supposed to love there's like this interesting idea that I, I wrote down that his death is not the sad thing for me. It's the moment that one of the sisters blames herself for it, which I thought was the most interesting part of the movie. Eat it, the dying one. E yes, eat it. Just this idea that she wants for him to be saved, to be redeemed, and will put it on herself despite what he's done. I think that's the most interesting thing that it has to say because I find that incredibly sad. I don't know. I think it's a really beautiful thing. I, I think I'd seen this maybe in at film school, but I hadn't revisited. And even from my watch yesterday, feel like I've already like reassessed it again and wanting to maybe revisit and consider it higher because I think it's sort of an unbelievable thing. And it's gorgeous. I don't know if you guys watch any of the newer restoration stuff, but it is really stunning what they've done from 1921 it looks like it was just modified today it's sort of insane there was several points of the movie where i was just watching it like with a fascination the way when you look at something really old in a museum you're like oh man somebody this was somebody like a hundred years ago my brain doesn't compute that it's old somehow it just seems to exist in like a fantasy realm where i'm like no this they just did this it almost looks fake in a way like it's like an artistic rendering of what people would have looked like back then. Sorry about little Timmy's birthday. <laughs> it's going up. I was going to say, talk about an axe to the door. You have the largest yard in the world. They're filling up the, uh, the bounce house right now. <laughs> you know, you can't fault a movie that ends with just the word slut. <laughs> <laughs> What does that mean in Swedish again? The end? It's just their version of the end. Yeah, it's just Swedish movies, instead of saying the end, just say slut, which to them means the end, but to us... It's <laughs> just the beginning. I remember there was a meme years ago that went around where it was the ending of uh, Finding Nemo. It just ends, and in Swedish, it just says slut. Slut. <laughs> uh, but it was really good. I thought the first like half or so was a little slow. There were like certain scenes where I was like, all right, you, know, you, know, you just like, get a guy in the water... It, you know, it kind of goes on for a while, but I thought it was just like an interesting story. I thought the nesting like story structure was really interesting. There were times where there would be like stories within stories within stories, very non-linear. I dug it. My two like little takeaway things that I was thinking about a lot that aren't really serious, to be totally honest. 
uh, is one is premise of the movie is based around whoever dies at the stroke of midnight is the person who has to ride's death carriage who has to be the grim reaper for the next year does that mean that there's a different person for each time zone? Phantom Carriage 2. Is it re- regional? Yeah, I want to go into it. Maybe it's like based <laughs> around like countries. Who knows? I did enjoy it. I weirdly, um, I might I might cut this because maybe this is just me being mean. <laughs> but the score for it, which I think is kind of new, I remember it sounded kind of like Sufjan Stevens off cuts <laughs> sometimes. I kind of a couple of times just muted it. And I was like, I'm just going to watch this without sound because there were there were times where the, the score for it. I'd, I'd be curious to see how, how our live score does it, where the score that I was watching it with was really bombastic and like telegraphing a lot of emotions. I was very tempted to listen to uh, just listen to something else in the background, like just score it with like Trent Reznor. That could be a cool experiment. Like someone filling up a moon bounce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or my, my, my default is I, I almost, I got really close to putting on the Social Network soundtrack. <laughs> Could have worked. <sighs> Guys pick movies that I don't want to see, but I got the Christmas Carol bit a lot. And I will agree with Connor, the score was kind of like weird and kind of off-putting. And I got, I got a myth for a 1920s movie that does like the see-through body look for people who are supposed to be ghosts. It's actually, it's not that bad. It's pretty good what they accomplished. Um, you know, I don't think I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, you know, uh, it's not my kind of picture. Um, you know, I, I, I respect for what it is, you know. It's cool to know that this was kind of like sort of the first New Year's Eve movie. Which, uh, as you said before, Craig, there's, there's not a lot of movies that take place during New Year's Eve. There's like very little of that. I dug it. You can draw a direct cinematic line from this to New Year's Evil. Eh. <laughs> Is New Year's Evil worth watching? Uh, I actually haven't seen it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, ten times better than uh, what you made me watch, Craig. I want you to know that right now. I always try to put myself into... And I like Phantom Carriage a lot, actually. I agree that it's a little slow. I agree that where it's going for a little bit, you're like, uh, what's up with this woman? What did he do to this woman? What's the whole Salvation Army thing? Like, wait, what, what about his family? Is this a love story? You know, there's definitely some of that by 2022 sensibility where you're, it comes together like water or mercury, like the T2 slowly cut. And then you're like, oh, oh, hey, yeah. That being said, though, I think looked at from the prism of when it came out in the early 20th century, the effects must have been really exciting for people. Like the carriage goes over water. Or scary. Yeah. <laughs> the film has been bewitched. <laughs> <laughs> there are moments, like we said, when when he gets drunk and angry at his family, he takes an axe to break down the door. And you're like, whoa. And that feels like an unvarnished moment of domestic terror, which must have been what influenced uh, Kubrick. But then also, as you guys are saying, he was a character. I was like, let him, let him. He should drive the Phantom Carriage for years. Like, this, this guy's awful to everybody. There's like an implication that the year of driving the Phantom Carriage feels like thousands of years. Over time, I think in the way that many great movies do, I, I felt, wait, I, I'm going to judge this guy less and less. Not necessarily because he he did do bad things. But just, I think, for, for the very intelligent thing of, like, I'm not going to judge. And this guy is is a huge, flawed human being, but he's a human being. And by the end of the movie, there's something really interesting about him and his family and this Salvation Army nun that we're talking about, who's the epitome of good. 
she's sort of the tiny Tim of the movie or just like the, there is nothing wrong with her except that he gives her, what, what's the disease he gives her? Consumption. I mean, it just rough. Rag lung. But it is a movie where at the end you're really moved by it and you really do think about it and uh, it, go, it bats for the fences and, and I loved it. Uh, let's do a quick round robin on some New Year's Eve scene or movie to get people hip to the New Year's thing. All right, I'm on it. Uh, speaking of Phantoms, oh. Phantom Thread, that's got a New Year's scene in it. Uh, I knew you were going to say that. And uh, we also mentioned the apartment earlier, and those are the only two that came to my mind. I don't really associate New Year's with movies, weirdly, I guess. I associate it with the Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah, because there's like those marathons. And I just associate it with hanging out and... Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but Old Lang Syne was the last song ever heard on the the Lost Continent of Lemuria when it went down, like the Titanic. Uh, Lemuria is like a second, another Atlantis. Is this a real thing? It's a real, in quotes, thing. It's a thing that people think. It's certainly, it's certainly a thing that's been said. New Year's <laughs> Eve. I wonder if we're so in our heads psychologically about the year that's been and the year that's come up that there's something maybe even not quite cinematic about it. It's just a, like a place in our psychology that cinema isn't going to be the first thing. Yeah, it's kind of an anxious holiday. Daniel. Yeah, I'm going to oh. say, I, I associate New Year's with The Twilight Zone. As a kid, that was my, I used to have VHSs at the ready to record them. Uh, the movie that I turn back to time and time again that I think's in a really lovely reappraisal period is from 2013, It's About Time starring Domhnall Gleeson and Rachel McAdams, which is a time travel romantic comedy. A lot of it is centered around this New Year's Eve party that's happening and the ways that Domhnall Gleeson's character, the decisions he makes that sort of create the branches of his life that he keeps trying to correct. He learns about his um, time travel gift, which is like a family thing, right before this party and then uses it to that. It's a really, really lovely movie. It's it's directed by... Um, Richard Curtis, right? In the, in the pantheon of his stuff, I know. There's a very large Love Actually community that takes that as their holiday movie, but I think About Time is, is the winner there. I think it's About Time. It's about time to hear what Edwin has to say about New Year's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, is it going to be Is it gonna be the Godfather part two? I don't, when, did Ed, when did Edwin become Jay Leno? No. Well, I got I got two New Year's Eve movies that's a tradition for me, and that's the Poseidon Adventure and End of Days, where Schwarzenegger fights Satan. I like them apples. Both take place on New Year's Eve, and one's a disaster, and one's uh, have to stop a sacrifice on New Year's Eve, because uh, if they don't, then uh, that chick will get birth to Satan's son, and uh, nah, Schwarzenegger's watch blows that motherfucker up with a rocket launcher and destroys the whole subway car. That's how you blow up Satan. I blow him up in a train track. It's a great movie. Great movie. That, that is a fun double feature. No, it is. It is a fun double feature. I have to tell you guys, I was sitting here during this podcast. I mean, like, what am I going to talk about? Because I don't want to talk about When Harry Met Sally, which I love, by the way. I love the movie When Harry Met Sally. I actually love when Harry and Sally finally get together on New Year's Eve. And I think it's a great New Year's Eve sequence. And hats off to Nora Ephron and Rob Reiner. I just, it was like planes, trains, and automobiles. I just didn't want to be like, oh, first thing came to my head. And then... As you were sitting there, I was going to default to the Hail Mary of Google to remind me. And it hit me just before I did it. The Godfather Part 2. Possibly one of the great New Year's Eve sequences ever in Cuba. When on New Year's Eve, Michael puts together that the person who has betrayed the family was Fredo. And as Cuba is falling, the Cuban dictatorship is falling and Fidel is rising Michael grabs Fredo and gives him a kiss and says, I knew it was you, Fredo. 
And in terms of a New Year's Eve sequence and somebody who found a way to make New Year's Eve cinematic, I actually can't believe I blanked on that because Godfather Part Two is my favorite between the two. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Between the three. <laughs> it's probably my favorite Coppola. Godfather Part Two and Conversation are my two favorite Coppolas. That moment, how he uses... Hyman Roth, it's this this whole sequence. They try to kill Hyman Roth. Michael reveals to Fredo. And then that's the whole hinge for what happens at the very end. I would just put to you, that's a pretty solid New Year's Eve sequence. It's interesting. We brought up The Godfather, the first one, in the Thanksgiving one. We brought up Godfather 2 here. I wonder if during our year, if we do more of these, if we'll end up figure out where godfather 3 belongs what holiday it should be watched with nowhere it belongs nowhere <laughs> arbor day no i like godfather 3 i think the tragedy of godfather no, don't you dare say no, that i do i do i think the tragedy of godfather 3 is that it's only mediocre in comparison to two all-time classics if you look at godfather 3 on its own merits i actually put forward that uh yeah it's got problems but I actually am super moved. There's some great sequences, even though I don't think Sofia Coppola, you know, is the greatest daughter. I think her death, I get it. And Michael's ultimate damnation because he loses his child. I actually think it's a pretty decent film. Also, there's a scene where he tries to do confession with a priest. I don't know how many people remember that. And he can't bring himself to ask for God's forgiveness because he's killed his brother and he knows it's unforgivable. And it's pretty unbearable to me. You know, there's a limit. He's trying to buy his way back into the church. I think it's actually a pretty intelligent picture. Uh, Pop culture, final thoughts. I was just going to say, I watched Demonic Toys, an early film (laughs) written by David Goyer, another full moon feature. It's fine, uh, but more importantly, watching it, we came up with a term. Everybody knows Chekhov's gun, the cinematic term or, or narrative art term for when you set up something earlier and it's going to pay off. If you show a gun early, it has to get you know shot later on in the movie. I, we made up Chekhov's other gun, <laughs> which is when they set up something that doesn't pay off. That happens a lot of times when you watch bad movies where they'll dedicate a decent amount of time to something and you're like, okay, well, you know, if this was a normal movie, later in the movie it would pay off and then they don't. And so I'm just going to, I want to introduce that term. Thankfully, Demonic Toys actually didn't have that. There was a gun in that movie and we were like, is that going to be his gun or his other gun? Is that going to come back later? And it did. But yeah, new new film term. I'm getting started. Hashtag Shekhov's other gun. And uh, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesday evening, twitch.tv slash Nerdhala. All right, other pop culture final thoughts? I got nothing, man. I got nothing. Just, I used them all up. Uh, I guess I could say is uh, if I get the day off, but uh, I shall be attending the Poseidon Adventure at the Academy Museum the 1st of January on 35mm. Plus, it's composed by John Williams. So get to hear that great track, the great sound system in that theater for John Williams, man. Go get him, John. I hope they accidentally play the, the remake. I hate you. I hate that you exist. Whoa. Whoa. It's <laughs> harsh. On that note, ring in the new year with Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, uh, now streaming on Netflix. <laughs> I saw Moneyball, which I've never seen. It was just one of those movies on the list, and I really liked it. I was not fully prepared that Moneyball, to me, is really about Billy Bean. I mean, all this stuff about how they, they leverage their budget to get players is fascinating, and I love it. But I actually was like, this is a character study of a guy who didn't really make it in pro ball. 
And you don't know if he's taking out his anger or trying to redeem himself through how he does things. But I loved how brutal he was with everybody and, and really like the things he kept telling Jonah Hill about what's kinder being shot once in the head or four times in the chest. There were like lines. I was like, Gah. I thought a great performance by Brad Pitt. I wasn't prepared for great directing, really tight movie, great writing, really fascinating character study, a kind of movie they don't make anymore a lot. And that movie's only like 11 years old. I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. Even when they give Philip Seymour Hoffman a, a freaking 10 minute part, he kills it as the coach of that team. So uh, yeah, just go see Moneyball. If you're looking for a good movie, go see Moneyball. And with that, I want to thank everybody. Thank you guys for hanging with Secret Movie Club. Thank you all for your contributions. Everybody on this podcast and everybody who's not on this podcast is what makes Secret Movie Club Secret Movie Club. Secret Movie Club is always, the vision has always been a group project. You're seeing it in microcosm here with uh, Edwin, Daniel, and Connor. And you see it in macrocosm when all the people not here, Josh and Heather and, and Stephen Brownlee and David Pacheco and Josh Salisbury and Lisi and Mark Petit and Andrew Laterman, all the people who work, uh, Alex Olivier, who's our head projectionist, and basically selflessly makes sure every film screening looks great and does anything people need because he's such a solid dude. And everybody, just thank you to everybody and thank you to you guys. And I hope I am able to do my part and that 2023 grows Secret Movie Club in all sorts of ways and its vision because I believe in cinema. I think we believe in cinema and I want us to do our part uh, for cinema to be vital and vibrant and a wonderful thing heading into 2023. So there you go. As always, you can find out about what we're doing at secretmovieclub.com. Write us at community at secretmovieclub.com and you can find out about our January to March. And that is it. All right, guys. Happy almost New Year. I love you guys. Oh, love you, family. Happy New Year. Bye-bye. And next week for Secret Movie Club Podcast 133, Patrick McElroy returns to talk to Craig about our director of 2022, John Ford. I was using your bing bong with my son. I just was, I don't know where that came from, but it was really funny to me. So I was like, bing bong. And he was like, who's bing bong? And I was like, bing bong is a fat squirrel. Lives outside. <laughs> is it, isn't he the, the elephant from? Uh, oh, yes, yeah. it is. There we go. Don't do that to him yet, though. Let him get a little older. Oh, actually, no. When they go to sleep, I actually turn on that scene from inside out. Take him to the moon. For I him. said, watch as your memory goes. Think about this. That's yeah. true horror. He existed and now they don't even know it. And then my kids cry themselves to sleep. Everyone you love in your life, this is what happens. <laughs> Ultimately, the universe obliterates all consciousness. Legacy is an illusion. <laughs>
And then my kids are like, just get the app out of here, dad. And sleep. They should. I like the idea that they sleep the whole night because they're just afraid of you laying stuff like that. And then I'm like, okay. Putting on another scene. Tonight, kids, it's scenes from a marriage. No, we'll sleep. We'll sleep. 